Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. All right, looks like we are live. So, um, if you all would go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, James, would you uh, click back on the presentation for me, please? Uh, Last week, we started a a sermon series looking into persecution. Uh, We started this series last week because it was the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. Um, it It was fitting because we had just finished the book of Hebrews, which was a letter of encouragement to Christians who were facing opposition from the world around them. Last week's sermon focused on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it showed that the source of a Christian's overcoming faith was God's grace, which allows Christians to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Now this week, we're going to get to see what that actually looks like in a believer's life. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 20, and the title of this sermon is The Evidence of Overcoming Faith. And the main idea is that a disciple reflects God's character even in the face of persecution. Now, typically here on, I call this my title slide. Typically on my title slide, I have uh, what I call, or what are called three um, division statements. Um, And it's sort of an outline of how we're going to break down the text. This morning's text um, doesn't break down that neatly. It's more of a list. Um, It's actually a list of 14 points. Uh, There are 14 pieces of evidence in this list. So it just really wasn't feasible to list them all on this one slide. Uh, So I want you to imagine here. Imagine that you are on trial and you're being charged with this crime of having overcoming faith. And the jury has to decide if you are guilty of this charge. Could, Could the prosecution provide the evidence necessary to convict you of having overcoming faith? So we'll pray and we're going to go ahead and get into this text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for those believers around the world who who face severe persecution day in and day out. We pray for their safety. Lord, I also pray, God, as we open up your word, that you will help us to see the lessons that you have for us, lessons that we can learn from these believers around the world. Help us, God, to be more like you in our day-to-day lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And one more thing before we get started, um, I want to be clear and upfront about this. The outline for this sermon was provided by Voice of the Martyrs to go along with last week's International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, and it is being used with their permission. Next week's sermon also is, the the outline is also provided by them. Uh, The outline is provided by them, but the the content is mostly mine. Um, So we'll go ahead and I'm going to read through all these verses. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, "Let Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. All right, so in that text, we have 14 pieces of evidence that show overcoming faith. So the, pr- the prosecution presents the first piece of evidence, a love for God's family. Verse 9, Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. In verse 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. When we, are going through, when we were going through the book of Hebrews, we really hit on this point that we are all adopted into God's family through Jesus. None of us deserve it. We all deserve hell. But because of God's love for us, he paid our sin debt through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And now, through faith in him, we can be adopted into God's family. That means we're all on equal grounds before God. That also means that we're still going to sin. And sometimes, we even sin against each other. But if we're going to love like Jesus loves us, then we love sacrificially. In verse 9, Paul said, Let love be without hypocrisy. That means that we love each other as Jesus loves us. We preach the gospel. We teach the gospel. We live the gospel. We claim that the gospel has changed our lives. The gospel teaches forgiveness and reconciliation through sacrifice. So let us live this out with genuine and sincere love. The second piece of evidence is a love for God's truth. Paul says, detest evil and cling to what is good. Last year, when we read through the post-exilic texts, in Ezra chapters 9 and 10, we read this story about Israel's um, adoption of the, det- the detestable practices of their neighbors and how that tainted their holiness. <clears throat> they were instructed to rid themselves of these evil practices and those among their community who brought them in. They were to detest evil and cling to what is good. For these Romans that Paul is writing to, they lived in a major city that had all sorts of opportunities for sin, not unlike the opportunities we have today. But we must flee from evil, detest it. Last week, we talked about being a living sacrifice by surrendering more of our lives to Jesus. The more we surrender to him, the less tempting sin will be, and the more we will find that we detest it. Now, the third piece of evidence is honoring each other. Paul says, take the lead in honoring one another. The language here really almost makes it seem like a competition. Take the lead suggests that there's some sort of race or scorekeeping mechanism. However, This is unlike any competition that we might see in our world today. Most competitions are about proving that you are the best at something. You ran the fastest, or you outscored your opponent, you outmaneuvered the competition, you overpowered, overcame, you defeated the other guy. In the end, you showed that you are the best. But this competition, this one's different. It's not about showing that you are the best, or it's not about getting all the glory and the honor for yourself. Paul says, take lead in honoring one another, not honoring ourselves. We highlight other people's strengths and show how they are gifted by God. We put others first and allow our own glory to take the back seat. Fourth piece of evidence, godly action. Paul says, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now the term zealot has a negative connotation, but it's not really a negative word. Google defines zealot as a person who is fanatical and uncompromising in pursuit of their religious ideals. See, through the Spirit... We can be zealous for serving God. Jesus commissioned us, go and make disciples of all nations. Let's be zealous about serving Jesus according to the Great Commission. Jesus commanded us, love one another as I have loved you. So let's be zealous about 
serving Jesus according to the new commandment. The fifth fifth piece of evidence is a godly mindset. Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Now, the world around us finds hope in many different ways, many different things. Many people find their hope in their own ability to accomplish a task. Others find hope in in more government control, or others would find hope in um, a shared humanity with less government control. Or maybe people find their hope in whatever sports team they cheer for. But as Jesus' disciples, our hope is in Jesus' salvation and his triumphant return. We know that whatever opposition we face, whatever struggles come our way, they are light and temporary. Eventually, Jesus will return and rule in his perfect eternal kingdom in a newly created earth. We place our hope in that. In that, we can rejoice instead of worry and stress. With that hope, we can be patient in affliction and stand up to persecution. With that hope, we can be persistent in our prayers, knowing that even if we don't see the answers right now, that Jesus is good and he's going to be victorious. He will right every wrong and heal our pains. For the sixth piece of evidence, it's godly generosity. Verse 13, Paul says, Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. Again, this is kind of at odds with normal behavior expected in our world. The the American dream is about working hard and achieving more, having more, buying more, eating more, being more successful, and just winning. But here we see that, that the disciple lives generously, not selfishly. The motivation for Jesus' generosity, or sorry, the motivation for this generosity is Jesus' generosity that he showed to us. The ruler of the universe, the king of heaven, left all of that to become a servant to us and to give everything for us. He gave all so that we could be saved. So we live a life that reflects generosity. We give knowing that Jesus gave all for us. We give so that others can share in our blessings. We give so that others can feel God's love and provision through us. That leads us right into the next one. Be a blessing. So our seventh piece of evidence is to be a blessing, even to persecutors. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our sinful flesh desires retaliation and revenge. When someone wrongs us, we want to get back at them. We want to hurt them at least as bad as they hurt us, maybe even more. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about justice. As Christians, we do desire justice. We seek God's justice. But justice and revenge are not the same. Justice and retaliation are not the same. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We can reflect our Father's character. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As disciples, we extend the grace that God gave to us. We extend that grace to those who sin against us. When we remember that God is gracious to us, even though we sinned against him, and we understand the severity of that sin, right? That's the created sinning against the creator, a lowly human against a holy God, or finite flesh against an infinite God. Yet he still shows us grace. The grace and generosity that I talked about in the previous point It's not just for those who are nice to us, but it's also to be given to those who persecute Christians as well. Uh, Sixth, I'm sorry, eight, I can't talk. I I can't count. The eighth piece of evidence here is a godly compassion. 
Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, the shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five, 35. And it says, Jesus wept. Not only that, but Jesus wept because his friend Lazarus died. But more than that, he wept because he was good friends with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, Mary and Martha were hurting because their brother had just passed. So they were mourning, and Jesus felt for them. He had compassion for them. So he hurt with them. He cried with them. He was compassionate. Matthew 9.36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus showed compassion because he hurt for others. When we have overcoming faith, it shows itself in compassion. When those around us have reason to rejoice, we rejoice with them because we love them. We're not jealous of their success and victories. When others are hurting, we feel their pain because we love them. For the ninth piece of evidence, we have pure, or sorry, pursuing relationship. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. <clears throat> and this goes back to that three circles gospel presentation that you've seen me use several times. Right? So it begins with God's design. And God's design is that we are all in perfect relationship. We're in perfect relationship with each other, in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with the rest of creation. It's all about God's design. But we look around us and we see that our relationships aren't perfect. Our relationships are broken. Well, that's because of sin. And sin, it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And that broke those relationships. But our relationships continue to break because we continue to sin. And we try all sorts of different things to fix these relationships. But we find it doesn't work. Our relationships are still broken. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus came. And he lived a perfect life. He died an excruciating death to pay the penalty for our sins. It was our payment, but Jesus paid it. It was our transgressions, but Jesus took the punishment. It was our crime, but Jesus paid the price. He died on the cross to pay the penalty so that our relationship with God could be reconciled when we repent from our sins and place our faith in him. Then our relationship with God is reconciled. We are adopted into God's family. So there's that relationship. Back to God's design. But it's not just our vertical relationship with God. It's also our horizontal relationship with each other, other people. Our relationships should be impacted by the gospel in that we are reconcilers. We go and we try to fix the relationships using the gospel, the spirit working through us to be a reconciler. We pursue relationship. Living in harmony with one another is not easy because we're sinners, We still sin and offend each other, and that strains our relationships. But like Jesus sacrificed to reconcile our relationship with him, we often need to sacrifice to reconcile the relationships in our lives. All right, for the 10th piece of evidence, I present humility. Paul says, do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, Paul writes, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Who, extend, I'm sorry, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had every right to be exalted, 
and glorified above his creation. But instead, he chose humility and servanthood. He chose to leave the comfort and glory of heaven to come and to die for us. His humility is a model for us to follow. The 11th piece of evidence, number 11, is forgiveness. Do not repay evil for or sorry, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Now this really ties in with so many other points that I've already covered. It's related to grace and humility and pursuing relationships and blessing our persecutors. But Paul saw this as an important enough point to give it its own talking point here. When others do evil against us, it is tempting to return that evil to them. We want revenge. But Jesus, again, demonstrates this for us. After the Jews pushed through a sham trial, they beat him, they cursed him, they hung him on a cross to die. Jesus, while he was being tortured, cries out, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. The righteous Son of God tortured for our sins. Tortured for sins that he did not commit, he still forgave those who were torturing him. Let us, in our lives, display this same forgiveness. The twelfth piece of evidence is to be peacemakers. Paul says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I've heard this talked about several times in the past, and you probably have too. And I want to give a, a possible new layer of understanding to this. I was listening to the EST podcast, the, the podcast for established churches, and they were talking about dealing with difficult church members. In the context of that conversation, one of the hosts mentioned that sometimes, as peacemakers, we have to confront others. And the, the other host kind of paused for a second, and he's not one to, to allow a whole lot of silence. He likes to fill that silence with his words. But he paused for a second, and you could tell that he was trying to process what this other host said. So I'm going to repeat it again. He said, one, uh, sometimes as peacemakers, we have to confront others. That doesn't sound much like being a peacemaker. So he went ahead and explained what he meant. Being a peacemaker means that sometimes we have to confront the issues that have strained the relationships so that relationships can be reconciled. Being a peacemaker is not the same thing as being a peacekeeper. Making peace is not easy. Reconciling relationships is not easy. In order to reconcile those relationships, you have to confront whatever it is that causes the strain or the broken relationship. We are called to be peacemakers, meaning that through the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, we seek to establish peace where peace is absent. We are called to be reconcilers. If a relationship is broken or strained, it is our responsibility to pursue peace, not just ignore it and hope that it goes away. Sometimes we come in as the third party to reconcile others' relationships. And sometimes this means that we have to swallow our own pride and pursue peace in our own broken relationships, even if we weren't in the wrong to begin with. The 13th piece of evidence is confidence in God's justice. In verse 19, Paul says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Now this circles back to evidence items number five, a godly mindset. Sorry, evidence item number five, a godly mindset. Rejoicing in hope because we understand that God has already won the, won the war and he will return victorious over sin and evil. 
part of his return is that he will completely and permanently defeat the devil and those who refuse to repent for their sins and turn to Jesus. This is God's wrath. People will pay for their sins when Jesus returns to judge the world. He is the judge. Jesus is the judge. We are not. We're not the judge. It is not our role or responsibility to avenge ourselves. That's God's job. We can have confidence in God's justice because we have faith in his triumphant return and his perfect judgment. And our final piece of evidence, number 14, is kindness. Kindness even to persecutors, though. Paul says, But if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, that's our enemy. If our enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Now, this is simply the next logical step after seeing numbers 6 and 13. Right? Number 6 was being generous, and number 13 was having confidence in God's justice. If we have confidence in God's justice and we are generous, then overcoming faith will show itself in generosity, even to our persecutors. So, 14 pieces of evidence. The prosecution rests at case, its case. If you were on trial for having overcoming faith, would you be found guilty? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of having overcoming faith? Or would the charges be dropped because the evidence is lacking? So we get to our application. Our application always has our three indicators of a disciple, knowing, being, and doing. So our first application is to know that overcoming faith comes from Jesus. Hundreds of millions of Christians around the world face severe persecution. That severe persecution is a real risk for them. It could be physical abuse. It could be imprisonment. It could be kidnappings. It could be rape. It could be torture. It could be death. But for hundreds of millions of Christians around the world, that is a daily risk that they face because their overcoming faith comes from their Savior, Jesus For these same Christians, it is faith in Jesus and through Jesus that allow them to stand strong in their proclamation of the gospel. He is the source of their strength and their hope to endure. Even though we may not face the same severe danger of persecution, we still have struggles. We still have pain. For us, the source of our overcoming faith is the same. It is Jesus. Our B application is to be guilty. It sounds weird saying that as the pastor, be guilty, but be guilty of overcoming faith. This this passage lists 14 characteristics or traits or behaviors that give evidence for overcoming faith. Are these evident in your life? If so, congratulations, you're guilty. If not, then turn to Jesus, have him be your savior and Lord and source of overcoming faith. And the due application is to display your overcoming faith. When others are looking at your life, could they see these 14 pieces of evidence? Is it obvious that your life is different from the unbelievers around you? Allow Jesus to recreate you from within and show his love through your life. We are here to reflect God's glory to those around us. And it is these 14 pieces of evidence that do so. So surrender more to Jesus so that you can reflect his image to those around you better. Our three application points again. Know that overcoming faith comes from Jesus. Be guilty of having overcoming faith and to display that overcoming faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, we praise you because you are a holy and righteous God. Yet in your holiness and in your righteousness, 
you, you sought to reconcile the relationship that we broke. Through your love, you sent your son, Jesus, to take the punishment that we deserve. Father, I pray that you will help us to surrender more and more to him every day. Help us to surrender more and more to you every day so that our faith will show through our actions, so that our faith will lead others to you, so that this overcoming faith will be evident in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've come to our point of... Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.